0: to a brand new episode of the let's talk football podcast i'm your host billy powell and today we'll be going over my game week nine predictions and just going through the games as they happened for the games that took place in the premier league this weekend getting straight into things in the first game of the weekend saw chelsea have the opportunity to take top spot as they traveled to newcastle i predicted this to be a walk in the park for chelsea in a three nil win it was a walk in the park for them, but I was just one goal off getting the prediction right. Chelsea came out strong and Newcastle did exactly what I expected them to in sitting back and try and soak up the pressure. Timo Werner had a great shot, stopped down low early early on by Kyle Darlow, who's continuing to impress. Tammy Abraham then had a golden opportunity just after that from a Hakim Ziyech delivery, which he could only just head wide. Then off a short corner though and some nice play from Chelsea, Mason Mount's delivery into the box was met by Federico Fernandez, who could only turn it into his own goal. Chilwell was just behind him so there wasn't really much he could do about it but with 10 minutes in, Chelsea were 1-0 up. It wasn't long though before Timo Werner had a great chance but somehow he dragged his shot wide to make it 2-0. Chelsea then continued to press and not allowed Newcastle to play holding 71% possession of the ball over the 90 minutes. Midway through the second half, Newcastle had their most clear-cut chance of the game. After a couple of lucky bounces, Isaac Hayden had the opportunity to make it 1-1, but he just completely skied it from about 10 yards out as it stayed 1-0 to the Blues. On 65 minutes, Timo Werner involved again. This time he went on a run from his own half before laying it off to Tammy Abraham, who finally got his goal after about five attempts. That's one thing that I'm not overly keen about, Tammy. As I'm sure you all know, I'm a massive Villa fan and I will always be grateful of what Tammy Abraham did at his time at Villa, but he just needs too many chances before he finally puts one in the back of the net. Anyways, 2-0 is how the game ended. Newcastle are really looking poor. What else do you expect from a team that's under the management of Steve Bruce? Chelsea finally starting to look like a proper team though and they'll be a very, very tough team to break down this season. As I said in the last episode, I didn't want my Villa prediction to come back and bite me on the arse and of course, that's exactly what it did. It didn't help that two minutes into the game, Ross Barkley had to be substituted off because of a hamstring problem which he pulled just as he was taking a free kick. With such a big influence he's had so far this season, being able to take some of the pressure off Jack Grealish, it was a massive, massive loss. Dean Smith then decided to put winger Bertrand Traore on, which for me was a bit of a weird one. I was expecting to see Grealish play in the middle as a 10, with Traore on the left. But it was just a like-for-like swap with Grealish staying out wide. Despite the Barkley injury, Villa were creating and pushing hard, creating good chances and every time we went forward we just couldn't finish 12 minutes into the game Brighton managed to counter Villa's very very high line which Welbeck was able to exploit running onto a Lalana pass through the Villa's defensive line which Welbeck was able to finish past Martinez What the Villa defence were doing, I'll never know. Tyrone Mings, yet again, making mistakes and being out of position. The defensive line should never have been that high in the first place, but just all-round awful defending for that first goal. Villa continued to push, though. Trezeguet had the chance of the game for Villa after some really nice play between Grealish and Watkins. Grealish's ball into the box fell to Trezeguet at the back post. Whose first attempt was blocked but it landed back to him and all he needed to do was just get it on target but somehow, I'll never know how, but somehow he missed. With the amount of opportunities Villa had that first half, it just didn't look like we was going to be able to hit the back of the net at all. It just looked like one of those games. But three minutes into the second half, Esri Konza got on the end of Traore's free kick and made it 1-1. I really thought we'd be able to push on from this but it just didn't happen and nine minutes later Pascal Gross's ball into the box was met by Solly March and his shot just floated into the top corner completely against the run of play and just so unfortunate for Villa. We tried to bounce back we just kept on pushing and pushing but unfortunately we just couldn't break Brighton down. I think they've finished the game in with, like, five centre-backs on the pitch or something like that. But in the 92nd minute, Trezeguet was brought down in the box by Solly March. The referee gave the penalty. VAR had a look at it. The referee went to look at the monitor and overturned his decision. I could not believe what I was watching, and I still cannot believe the decision. As Trezeguet pulled the ball back onto his left foot, the ball brushed off Solimarchi's leg, but his foot went straight through Trezeguet. How it wasn't a penalty, I will never know. And I find myself in a position where I just don't know what is and what isn't a foul anymore. And I'm not the only one either. We're in a situation where players, managers, pundits, fans and even former referees don't know the rules anymore. And as, as Sam Matterface said on Talk Sport on Monday, that's not our problem. It's the rules and the consistent changing of them that is the problem. It's a really sad situation, Rim, right now. And something has to change, and it has to change quickly. I'm not just saying this because it was Villa that were hard done by, but a number of clubs this week, and a number of clubs, players, managers, etc., are all in the same boat. Something needs to change because it's ruining the beautiful game we all fell in love with. In my opinion, the Premier League clubs as a whole need to come together and back each other and look to force a change because it's too confusing and too inconsistent at the moment. Something needs to change and it really needs to happen soon. Moving on to the Manchester City Tottenham game though, I predicted this one to be on a knife edge really with either team being able to take it but I went for a Man City 2-1 win in the end. I wasn't too far off if you switch your goals around and took one off Man City, in all fairness. But it only took five minutes to, for Spurs to get their goal and go ahead. A beautiful ball played over the top past the City defence by Ndombele was perfect for who else but hyung min Sod to run on the end of and slot it past Edison. Spurs thought they made it too, though, pretty soon after the first, Oreo played a diagonal ball over to Bergvine, who passed it through to Son and rather than be greedy and shoot for himself, passed it across the goal to Kane, who tapped it in but was just in an offside position. City did hold most of the ball though and looked to have equalised just before the half an hour mark. Rodri's ball came in to Gabriel Jesus, who looked to take a who looked to take a shot before laying it off to Laporte, of all people, who then slotted it home. To everyone, it seemed a perfectly legitimate goal, but of course, VAR had other thoughts. As Jesus controlled the ball, it came off his arm, halfway down the shirt sleeve, which I believe this season is the cut-off point. The ball hit... Uh, the, the ball half hit the sleeve and half the skin on the arm. The goal was then ruled out for Ball. This is what I mean when things like this have got to be looked at and cleared up. I certainly thought it was a legitimate goal and I find Man City to be really hard done by there. But when you look at some of the other handballs given this season and then you look at that, it's just ridiculous that it's been overturned. Anyway, they went into the break at 1-0. In the 65th minute, Giovanni Lichelso came on for Ndombele and straight away he was in within the action. Older Virald passed the ball into Kane, with no man within about a twenty-yard radius of him, allowed him to turn around and run at goal before laying it off to Lichello, who was able to finish past Edison, scoring his first Premier League goal. That goal also became Harry Kane's ninth assist of the season, moving on, moving him on to sixteen goal contributions for the season, just after nine games. Jose Mourinho has really got him firing on all cylinders, just like he told him he would when he came into Spurs. Later on in the half though, Kevin De Bruyne's free kick was met by Ruben Diaz, but Hugo Lloris pulled off a great save to keep the game at 2-0, which is how it ended. Staying with Manchester, but over to the red side now. I predicted a 2-0 Manchester United win, and another one I was actually pretty close with, but not quite on the money. Martial had his first shot on target this season, early on from about six yards out, which forced Sam Johnston into pulling off a fantastic save against his former club. Other than that, United were very poor that first half and didn't really create anything at all. West Brom came close as well from a corner which came off the back of Carl Bartley's head, but it just went over the bar. A minute into the second half and a similar incident occurred to that of which happened in the Villa game. Conor Gallagher was brought down in the penalty box by Bruno Fernandes, who got a slight stud on the ball before bringing the player down. David Coote, the referee, gave the penalty again, but Villar had a look and told the referee to check the monitor, which he did, and because the ball brushed Fernandez's stud, the penalty was overturned. What has happened to winning the ball? Neither incident in this game nor the Villa game saw the defender actually win the ball, but actually saw it brush their boot or leg. Neither incident saw a clear and obvious error either. Therefore, VAR shouldn't have got involved in the first place. And it just goes back to the fact of not knowing what is and what isn't a foul anymore. But before I wind myself up about it anymore... Ten minutes later, United were this time given a penalty, and this time for handball. One matter's attempted cross hit Darnell Furlong's arm. It was handball, and so the penalty was given. Bruno Fernandes stepped up, did its hop, skip and a jump malarkey, as he saw his penalty saved by Johnston, who was just off his line as the penalty was struck, so United had another opportunity. Which, of course, they then put away. Very harsh on West Brom. Callum Robinson came off the bench and came very close to scoring a similar goal to that of his, one of his good mates Jack Grealish at Old Trafford, but Robinson's effort could only hit the bar. 1-0 is how it stayed at a very undeserved and unfortunate loss for West Brom. Yet another manager in Slavon Bilic came out and said the same thing about not understanding the rules. Sunday's early game though saw Everton take on Fulham at Craven Cottage. Richarlison was finally back in the Everton squad after what seems like forever. My predictions for this game were a 2-0 Everton win, but instead we were blessed with a five-goal thriller. It only took Richarlison 40 seconds to to get back to contributing to goals. His low ball across the box was met by none other than Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who bundled it into the goal. That lead didn't last too long though as some nice play between Bobby Reid and Tom Kearney saw Reed latch on to Kearney's pass which he then slotted past Pickford. Just before the half an hour mark though and some nice play from Iwobi down the right, he passed it into James Rodriguez in the centre of the pitch. Rodriguez then played it over to Luca Dean whose first time ball across the box was met by Calvert-Lewin yet again. Only six minutes later this time and Everton made it through. Rodriguez again played a ball out wide to Luca Dean, who yet again picked out a player in the middle. This time it was Ducore on the end of it, grabbing his first goal for the Toffees since joining in the summer. That's how it stayed going into half-time. In the second half, Fulham were actually playing some very good football and getting a few chances too, but nothing really came of it. Until the 68th minute, when Ruben Loftus-Cheek was brought down in the penalty box. After Mitrovic and Luckman missing Fulham's two previous penalties, it was Ivan Cavaliero's turn to step up, but he could only do his best John Terry impression by slipping over and skying it over the bar. Unfortunately for Fulham though, only two minutes later, Loftus-Cheek managed to get on the end of Luckman's ball into the box, which he was able to direct past Pickford. At 3-2, Fulham continued to push and look for an equaliser, but Everton just had enough to keep them out. Scott Park will be gutted with the result and will feel his side deserved to get more from the game, which they certainly did. Ancelotti won't care though as his side travelled back to Merseyside with all three points. Sheffield United then hosted West Ham at Bramwell Lane. The Blades still looking for their first win and sitting bottom of the table with only one point. Before the game, I thought they could have been coming away with another point, but unfortunately for them, it just wasn't to be. It was a very even game all round, though. Neither team really creating clear-cut chances. The best of the first half came from David McGoldrick off a corner which was a floated long and headed back across goal, but McGoldrick could only direct his header onto the post. West Ham finally broke the deadlock, though, in the second half. Pablo Fornauz's original shot was blocked, but it only went as far as Sebastian Haller, who blasted the ball into the top corner. If you look at it, you could say the keeper should have been doing better, but with the venom the ball was hit with, it's no wonder why he couldn't keep it out. After that, the game was West Ham's really. Haller had another good chance from the centre of the box, but he could only direct his shot wide. Declan Rice then had a chance from a corner, but his effort could only hit the bar. Then one last chance for Sheffield United to possibly grab something came when McBurnie was clear through, but his shot could only hit the bar too. 1-0 is how it stayed, and I'm worrying for Sheffield United myself. I really didn't expect them to be this poor going into the season, and it'll be interesting to see when they'll pick up their first win, if at all this season. West Brom next up for them, so they'll be hoping to get their first win then but it wouldn't surprise me if we see another draw there. Leeds and Arsenal were up next. Thomas Partey and Elneny were both ruled out for this one, as I said on Friday's episode, which meant we did see Chaka and Sabayos starting midfield for the Gunners. I did predict a 1-0 Leeds win and I wasn't too far off. Leeds were probably unfortunate not to win the game, but Arsenal did just enough to keep them out. Leeds had a total of 66% possession during the game, which you just don't see happen against a team like Arsenal very often. But Leeds just couldn't make their chances count. Patrick Bamford had Leeds' best chance of the first half. A ball in from Ailing down the right was blocked by Gabriel, but the ball fell to Bamford about six yards out, but his volley was brilliantly saved down low by Leno. Moving into the second half and Leeds continued to do what Leeds do but only six minutes into the second 45 Nicola Pepe was shown a red for a so-called headbutt on Alioski. For me, Pepe was very unfortunate to get a red for this. You see players all the time square up to each other and put heads together. The only difference in this instance was Alioski went down like he'd just been shot by a sniper. It didn't necessarily help Leeds out though as they still weren't able to break Arsenal down. Saying that, they were unlucky, as they did hit the woodwork three times. 0-0 is how the game finished, though. Next up for Leeds, it's an away trip to Everton. They'll be looking to exploit Everton's very leaky defence, so we're in for a very good game there. Sunday's final game saw Liverpool take on Leicester, and it also saw my worst prediction of the weekend. With all the injury woes that Liverpool have had and the amazing form that Leicester have been in, I really expected Leicester to take it to Liverpool and go and get something. But the complete opposite happened. To me, it just seemed Leicester had too much respect for Liverpool. Only 20 minutes into the game, Liverpool grabbed their first goal. James Milner's corner into the box was met by Johnny Evans, who headed it into his own net. A great header, mind you, but I'm not too sure what he was attempting to do. Soon after that, Leicester had a great chance for themselves. Jamie Vardy's ball into the box was met by Harvey Barnes, but he just couldn't hit the target. Before half, Just before half-time, Andy Robertson's delivery into the box landed right onto the head of Diogo Jota, who just seems to be scoring for fun at the minute. That's his fourth goal in as many games at, at Anfield since joining the Reds in the summer really giving Klopp a selection headache. Into the second half though now and Liverpool continued to create chance after chance. Sadio Mane came close but his shot was saved. Roberto Firmino then came unbelievably close but somehow the ball didn't quite cross the line. I think that's the closest Hawkeye decision I think I've probably ever seen. Another half a millimetre and it would have been given as a goal. But it didn't matter though as he finally got his goal in the 86th minute from a header from a corner and 3-0 is how it stayed. Quite a difference from the 2-0 to Leicester result I predicted. Moving on to Monday's games and the early kickoff was between Crystal Palace and Burnley at Turf Moor. Unfortunately, unfortunately for Palace, star man and top goal scorer Wilfred Zaha was ruled out of this game due to a positive coronavirus test. I previously predicted that this would end in a 2-1 Palace win, but with Zaha having to be left at home, Palace really struggled and just couldn't get going. It only took Burnley eight minutes to go ahead, and after a long ball forward and some dodgy bounces, Chris Wood fired past Guaita. Palace looked to go forward and create something, and they did come close a couple of times. James McArthur's ball across the box was just too far away from Ayu, who was sliding in at the back post. Andros Townsend then had a good strike saved by Nick Pope as well. Ten minutes after half-time, the home side had a great chance to make it 2-0 though. Some nice play down the left between Charlie Taylor and Dwight McNeil saw McNeil pass it off to Goodmanson, whose shot could only rattle the bar. Just after that, Michy Batshuayi had Palace's best chance of the game. A loose McNeil pass back into defence, saw the Belgian forward one-on-one with Nick Pope, but he just couldn't finish. Benteke then had another chance later on from a free kick, which was whipped in, but yet again Nick Pope came rushing out to block the shot. Burnley will be delighted with that win to get them rolling for the season now. Palace have Newcastle up next and they'll be looking to take all three points there. The final game of the weekend between Wolves and Southampton had a 0-0 draw written all over it in my book. But it was in fact a very enjoyable game. Wolves were very much a better team for the majority of the game. Early on, McCarthy and the Saints goal pulled off a great double save. The first, a long range effort from Nelson Semedou. Which he could only parry out to Leandro Dendonca, whose shot was also saved. Southampton did have a chance of their own though, through Stuart Armstrong, and his shot went wide. At the other end though, Wolves continued to push and McCarthy continued to keep them out. Half time came round and somehow it was still 0 0. If Wolves were up 2 or 3 0, it really wouldn't have been a surprise. Southampton changed in the second half though and came out much better. Just 13 minutes after the restart, Saints broke the deadlock and Che Adams' fizz ball across the box was met by Theo Walcott at the back post who had an empty net to aim at. Walcott then had another golden opportunity though to make it 2-0. A beautiful ball from Che Adams over the top beat all of the defenders and left Walcott with only the keeper to beat, but somehow he placed it wide. Southampton will come back to that opportunity as a missed chance to take all three points as Wolves went on to grab a goal in the 75th minute. Raul Jimenez's shot came back off the post right into Pedro Neto's path as he placed it past McCarthy. No real chances were created after that though and the game ended 1-1. A very enjoyable and entertaining 1-1 2 to finish the weekend's football. Southampton will look to get back to winning ways as they host Man United next week and Wolves travel to Arsenal. That's all from me today. Thank you very much for listening. Please don't forget to go over to Twitter and Instagram at ltfootballpod. Go give us a follow as well as following us on Spotify and subscribing us to Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to give us a five-star review on Apple II, that would be gratefully appreciated. Take care, and I'll see you soon for another episode. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?